Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartnized. Today's episode, Defeating Skynet. We have always been afraid that at some point, artificial intelligence would become self-aware, take over, and destroy our lives, maybe wipe out all of mankind. The earliest stories about this started to appear in the 50s. In science fiction, it wasn't so much computers, it was robots, because computers weren't uh, as scary at the time. The earliest story that I was able to find on this was one called With Folded Hands. It told the story of robots taking over, doing everything that we needed for us, but they were programmed not to let us hurt ourselves. And so we weren't allowed to do anything. You couldn't even do woodworking because, you know, you could hurt yourself with a saw. And of course, all of Isaac Asimov's robot stories included the three laws of robotics. The first one, which was built deeply into the positronic brains, was not to harm a human being. The creepiest story I've ever read on that premise was by Harlan Ellison called I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Check it out. It will definitely give you the willies. Of course, it wasn't too long before this started showing up in movies, Dr. Strangelove was not really, in the beginning at least, about robots or about computers taking over, but that was the punchline to the movie. Colossus, the Forbin Project in the 70s, gave us two super-intelligent, self-aware computers that demanded to talk to each other. The Computers Take Over the World and Wipe Us All Out movie of my generation was War Games. Would you like to play a game? Pretty scary. And then there are the seemingly endless series of Terminator movies with conflicting timelines and overlaps, and keeping up with all of them could very well be a full-time job. So, how much of a problem is this? How likely is it that artificial intelligence is going to become self-aware take over the world, and wipe out the human race, or at least ruin our lives. Well, let's take a little look at what we have now. Let's say you're sitting there on Amazon, and you're looking through and saying, well, I I want to get something new to read on my Kindle. Why? Hey, look, there's a book called Blood Witness by Dave Hidd. It's about a, a vampire that falls in love with a Jehovah's Witness. And then he becomes a vampire. Oh, that sounds interesting. And it's only $2.99. I think I'll buy it. So you click the one-click shopping button. Buy it. Turn on your Kindle. And say sync. And boom. There it is on your Kindle for your reading pleasure. Very simple. Nothing at all to it. But what happened behind the scenes to make all this possible? First of all, there's the problem of getting to Amazon. How does your browser know how to get there? You pull up your browser, you type in 
Amazon.com, your browser doesn't know where that is. So it goes to something called a domain name server and says, hey, this Amazon.com, what is it? And the domain name server spits back, oh, it's 54.239.17.16. And your browser says, okay, thank you. Actually, it says, ack. And then starts hopping from point to point to point to get to Amazon. It might go through five or 10 or 15 routers and all over the place to finally dump you on Amazon. All this information is chopped up into little tiny packets, which are sent along all these points. It gets to the other end where Amazon is. Amazon puts all those pieces together, says, oh, oh, this piece was deformed, send it again. Or, oh, this piece was missing, send it again. Tells Amazon that you are connecting. Amazon says, is there a cookie? And your brother says, why, yes, I have a cookie. And it sends it all through this path to Amazon. Again, all these little pieces that get assembled on that end. And Amazon says, oh, now I know who you are. And it creates a page that's going to be unique to you. Nobody else will get the same page. And it sends all these little packets back, maybe through the same path, maybe through a different one, to your computer where it gets displayed on your screen. Now that's just for you to hook up to Amazon and for Amazon to talk to you. And this is very simplified. So now you decide to order Blood Witness. You click on the appropriate button. And Amazon on the other end says, oh, let's see, I have his credit card. I'll charge his credit card. It tells the credit card company, give me $2.99. The credit card company then tells the bank, give me $2.99. And then Amazon puts the book into your account so that when you connect with your Kindle, it says, oh, uh, this is waiting for you. And it puts it there. Now, while all this is going on, you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Somewhere today, a router lost its mind and had to be reprogrammed. A switch failed and it had to be replaced. A hard drive broke. Someone had to physically remove it and replace it. There was a funky bug that made Amazon fail with some rare combination of circumstances, and a programmer had to figure out what caused the problem and figure out how to fix it. All of this transparent to you. Now, the request to your bank to give $3 to the credit card company, who then took off their share for shipping and handling and passed back on to Amazon, that really didn't get processed right away. It seems to have happened in real time, but it didn't. The bank is actually going to batch process that later tonight. They're going to be using software that in many cases has not been touched since 1999 when it was updated for the Millennium Bug. And that does all of the reconciliation and actually sending the money back and forth to the various entities making payments, accepting deposits, and all that type of thing. Now, when you think about banks and insurance companies and financial institutions, you would think they would have super state-of-the-art hardware and software. <laughs> no, not even close. They're running on really 
old stuff. They may have the latest in some aspects and some pieces of hardware and some pieces of software. But once they get something that works, they don't want to mess with it. Hence your 1999 COBOL program still being used to process the payment that you made today. And upgrading and updating can be expensive and error prone. I recently worked for a insurance company that was using IE8, Internet Explorer 8, because they had software that they relied on and that some people needed to do their jobs that broke with anything more up-to-date than that. They ran reports on software that was so old it would only run on Windows 95, and so they used virtual machines with this software loaded so they could run these reports and get this information that they needed to do their job. This is going on in all of the financial institutions, in the stores that are out there, the e-commerce, and just about everything else. And we're just talking here about internet stuff and financial stuff. We're not even talking about things like, how do you get the electricity to run all of these computers, to run all of these things? Because they have techs, too, that are working 24-7 to make sure that all of this stuff works, that you have enough juice to run it all. And I can't be sure, but my guess is that a substantial portion of what they're running is old and obsolete as well. And you're going to find old, obsolete hardware and software everywhere. You really are, because it's just... It has to do with money. More importantly, it has to do with fear of what happens if we upgrade. You know, things like air traffic control. How do you fix that and not worry about breaking that when you update things? A lot of what technicians do to keep all this stuff running is rather mundane, but vital. I can tell you from experience that every day, in every business, somewhere between 3 and 5% of the people working for that business forget a password, or they let a password expire, or they've got something they only use two or three times a month, and that password is now broken, and they lock themselves out. Without someone able to reset that password, they can't get into their software. Maybe they can't even get into the network and they can't do anything. They can't work. That's 5% of the population. Except on Mondays after a three or four day weekend, in which case it becomes about 10% of the people because they just uh, seem to completely lose their mind and forget things. Or they'll look at pop-ups that say, hey, your password's going to expire in five days. You want to change it? Now nah, I'll wait. Oh, it's going to expire in four days. You want to change it? No, I'll wait. And then they let it expire. And then, again, they're locked out until somebody can rescue them. And then there's all the other little things that go on in any business. 
in Amazon, in the financial institution, in the people that supply your electricity. Hard drives fail. Power supplies fail. Some esoteric specialized piece of software doesn't want to install for some reason. All of these things have to be dealt with and maintained by people. A while back, I don't know, it was probably six months or so ago, one of the primary domain name servers out west broke, went down, didn't go back up. Usually there's a lot of fail-safes, but fail-safes fail as well. And as a result, for a couple of hours, the entire Midwest had no internet. They couldn't get anywhere. The whole internet was broken. And of course, a tech found what the problem was, where the problem was, and got it fixed. And this is the key. You need human beings of all different levels of expertise to fix these things, to keep these things running. If all the techs who do all these invisible things behind the scenes that you don't know or even have to care about were to stay home for a day, By 10 o'clock in the morning or so, the internet would start getting really, really slow. By 11 or 12, it would be unusable. Essentially broken. By 1 or 2 in the afternoon, your electricity would go out. And by the end of the day, everything would be a complete mess. We'd be shivering in the dark without all of these invisible people running things and fixing things. Now, in most of the dystopian Skynet-type stories, when artificial intelligence becomes self-aware, it immediately fires nukes off all over the place and kills everybody. Well... If it's that smart, it's going to know that a nuke will create an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, that fries all the electronics in a huge, wide area. So if it fired off any nukes, it would be performing a lobotomy on itself. It would most likely be smart enough not to do that. So let's say that doesn't happen. Instead, it just takes control of everything. And now our lives are a mess. We've we've got our internet. We've got our electricity. We've got stuff that we need, supplies and resources to stay alive. But this artificial intelligence is just ruining our lives, taking away our freedom. What can we do about it? Well, it doesn't require special hacking or programming or sending in Sarah Connor to blow up a mainframe. Nope. If you want to take down Skynet, it's actually pretty simple. All you need to do is to have all the techs call in sick on a Tuesday And before the day was over, 
everything would be reset back to zero. Let the whole thing collapse and then go in and just fix the pieces that don't involve artificial intelligence and uh, you're back in shape. At least I think that would work. And that's it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind or even... If you can just understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations. You've been Smart Knives. Hey folks, you know I love to hear from you. So drop me a line, dave at davehit.com. Just be sure to put quick hits or podcast or something like that in the subject line because I just get buried in email and uh, without that I tend to miss it. I found some things that were like oh here's somebody that wrote to me three weeks ago and I didn't get to write back because I didn't notice it. So there's only one more thing here for me to remind you of and that is that the Quick Hits podcast is nothing more than a journal of one man's opinion and therefore should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.